Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take, and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take, all one word, in the promo box, and you'll be eligible to win $100, courtesy of My Take Radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 164, for Wednesday, November 21st, 2012. Our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. You can hit up the MTR feedback line at 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, let's get right into it, obviously. It's not Thursday, clearly. It's Thanksgiving Eve. Decided to do the show a day early, number one, because there's a couple of things we got to talk about. Number two, I was fucking bored. Sue me. We're also going to probably be doing the show on Wednesday next week because we'll be at the Engadget event next week. If anything changes, it may still be Thursday, depending on what time we get home. But as of right now, it looks like it's going to go down on Wednesday. Our get glue check-ins, as usual, keep increasing. Please continue to check in whenever you get a chance. We really appreciate it. Got some new articles up this week, including a review of Skyfall. I finally got the chance to check it out. But, of course, no trip to the movie theater is complete without some sort of an incident happening. I will share that in this week's monologue. And it was memorable, to say the least. But we will be joined by Ben to discuss this past weekend's UFC event. He'll be calling in around 11.30 or so. We're also going to talk about Survivor Series, Raw, a couple of a couple of bits of gaming news before uh, Black Friday. We're also going to talk some entertainment. And, of course, we're going to send it off nicely right into Thanksgiving this Thursday. In a unique twist, Slick is actually here at MTRHQ instead of doing the show remote. Right, Slick? That's right. There you go. Slick is actually sitting right next to me, so he is going to... Be chiming in throughout the evening, of course, uh, sharing his wisdom with us in regards to numerous things that we will be discussing. And um, he was actually here Friday, I mean Saturday, to watch the GSP Carlos Condit fight. So I'm sure he will have some stuff to add with regards to that as well. All right. Before we get into some of the stuff for this week, just a reminder 
that our buddy De Silva is doing the Movember drive. And if you guys are interested in donating, you can check out the link in the show notes. Also, our guest from MTR Beyond the Mic, Adam J. He is doing a uh, photo shoot with a female RoboCop. And if he meets his quota or surpasses it, he will also be doing one for a female Voltron with uh, Freddy Nova, who you guys may know from the awesome Venom photo shoot that he did. If you guys are interested in donating for that, of course, the links for that will be in the show notes as well. All right. Well, let's get into the what happened this past weekend. I got two crazy stories for you. First off, we got to talk about Skyfall. Um, myself, uh, my wife, and John Blade went to see Skyfall this past weekend, and of course, we got to enjoy it in full IMAX, which it's the only way to enjoy that movie. So about three quarters of the way through the movie, um, an older gentleman, his wife, and I guess what was their son, showed up into the theater and proceeded to sit down. And the guy took off his jacket and he smelled like a rotting salad left in the sun. It was completely god awful. As soon as he took off his jacket, it just permeated through the theater. Which, whatever, you just try to take your mind off the fact that he stunk like complete shit. But what ended up happening was he kept standing up trying to take his jacket off. I don't know if he was hammered because he may have been a little a little wasted. But it got so bad that the guy next to him had to actually help him take off his jacket. In a, in a, in a unique twist of fate, the guy helped him take off his jacket. And I don't understand how he wasn't killed by the fact that the guy smelled like complete shit. Anyway... Besides him standing up and pointing at the screen, they decided, I don't know how they smuggled it into the theater, but it was high time to eat some McDonald's. We're sitting there watching the movie, and I'm like, wow, I smell fucking french fries. These fucking three shitheads had a full McDonald's meal that they were eating through during the movie, which is distracting as all hell because everybody's eating popcorn, and you hear the crinkle of the fucking burger wrapper. And then you hear the, the, the grabbing of the french fries from the carton. I wanted to go down there and stab that guy in the fucking forehead with an ice pick. But what can you do? Towards the end of the movie, the guy decided, oh, I'm going to make observations about a scene in Skyfall. But the beauty of seeing a movie like 007 is that it attracts older people, which in turn, they have zero tolerance for that shit. So the, the, the lady, right, he didn't even get three words out before this lady in front of him turned around and said, do you mind? And the guy and the guy shut up. But overall, I will tell you, Skyfall probably is the gold standard now for Bond films. After seeing Casino Royale and being impressed by it, then seeing Quantum of Solace, which was a severe letdown. Skyfall was amazing from start to finish, especially when you see it in IMAX, which I recommend you if you haven't seen it to see it that way. It was it was ridiculous. But you can find out more by reading the review on MyTakeRadio.com. The uh, second wonderful story I wanted to share with you guys involves Best Buy. Now, usually I save my Venom and Vitriol for GameStop because GameStop is run by fucking charlatans and shysters. But this week, Best Buy was the culprit that actually ruined my day. And basically what's been happening is if you guys have been reading the news as of late, you guys know Best Buy isn't doing so well to the point where to remedy how bad they're doing... They are price matching Amazon, Walmart, and Target to kind of get themselves ahead of the race. Obviously, that's a desperation ploy, but that's a whole separate issue. 
So I decided I'm going to go in there and trade in some games because I wanted to buy the Budokai collection for Xbox 360. It's 40 bucks. So I walked in there with EA Sports MMA, and I want you guys to make note of the titles. EA Sports MMA, Darksiders 2 since I finished it, and Dragon Ball Z Ultimate Tenkaichi. So the way Best Buy's trade-in works is you go to their website, you punch in the games, you get the trade-in values... And you print out a slip, and you go to Best Buy, and you trade the games in. Easy peasy. Which, I have to admit, if if it actually worked, would be something that GameStop should implement, so that way you know before you walk through the door that they're going to offer you 50 cents for a game you've spent $60 on three weeks ago. But that's a separate story. Anyway, I go, I get everything. The The, the games total out to about 18 bucks. So I figure, all right, I'll get the game for twenty bucks. That's a, that's a win for me. Not only that, but if you're a member of the um, game club for Reward Zone members, they were giving you a hundred percent trade in credit, which was extra appealing because I said, damn, I can probably maybe get at least twenty five, thirty dollars instead of the seventeen or eighteen bucks that was originally planned. So I walk in there, and the loss prevention guy asked me if I'm going to return, if I'm doing any returns. I'm like, no, I'm doing a trade in. So he follows that up with, did you buy the games here? And I said, you do realize that EA Sports MMA is old as shit. Why the, why would, I don't know if I bought it here. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Why? He's like, well, if you need to, if you're going to sell games to us, you need to have a receipt showing the games that you purchased, which is a complete steaming pile of shit. So whatever, I figured he's a fucking moron. So I proceeded to walk towards the back. So when I get there, this guy rolls up. And he's like, what can I do for you? And I'm like, look, man, I want to trade these games in. They are, um, yeah, I want to put them towards Budokai. He's like, oh, same thing. Did you buy the games here? I'm like, dude, I don't fucking know. They're fucking old as shit. Do you have the receipt? It's EA Sports MMA. How old is that shit? And why would I have the receipt? Oh, well, according to the, you know, the, the rules of the county where the store is located, any games that are bought that are sold back to us have to be accompanied by the receipt to be proof of purchase. So of course I proceeded to get angry and complain about how that's complete horseshit. And the guy was like, well, you know, you can always sell it to Best Buy. I mean to, um, GameStop. I'm like, really? Like I've never bought a fucking game before. So basically to sell games to Best Buy, you need a 10 year background check, a stool sample, possibly jerk off in a cup, they want to make sure you have all that, and then maybe they'll consider buying your games. What a steaming pile of shit. I told Slick about it, and Slick was none too thrilled to hear that that's the kind of shit they've resorted to. Needless to say, from now on, games get sold on eBay and to Amazon and never to GameStop and certainly not to Best Buy. Anyway, of course, that was the misery of this week. Let's get into this week's MMA segment because there was a lot of shit going on. And most importantly, this past weekend's UFC event was amazing. My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Get all your favorite MMA shirts, training gear, and apparel at MMAWarehouse.com. I actually went on there to order a Chael Sonnen shirt. Yes, 
I, I actually do try to support the fighters when I can. Hopefully I'll get it in two weeks because it is on back order just in time for the next season of The Ultimate Fighter so I can show my support for the American Gangster. Anyway, um, Ben is going to be calling in to join us and we're going to be breaking down the UFC card, which I have to admit started off slow and then just snowballed into a cavalcade of awesome from start to finish. I was thoroughly impressed. So um, with that said, let me bring Ben in and get this party started. Let's see if it... Ben, what's going on, buddy? What's up, man? Welcome back, dude. It was a uh, a great weekend of MMA. We had uh, some good stuff from Bellator, which I'm going to discuss with you. Uh, Legacy Fighting Championships had some good stuff, but let's get let's get right into the meat and potatoes, and that is, of course, UFC 154. And as usual, you know, we want to pluck out a couple of solid fights um, that delivered completely from start to finish, and. The fight I want to start with is the Cyril Diabati Chad Griggs fight, only because it was Griggs' debut at two oh five, and I thought I thought Diabati was going to be tested a little bit by Griggs. Griggs, ha- Griggs has good knockout power, but Diabati just came in and put it on him. What'd you think of the fight? I thought it was um, it was amusing, but for like the wrong reasons. Like Chad Griggs' whole claim to fame is that a referee, I forget what referee, more or less screwed Bobby Lashley out of a win. Because, I mean, not not to say that Bobby Lashley, once he got up, he shouldn't have been that tired. But you don't stand people up from full mount and then be confused when he's, like, exhausted because Bobby Lashley walks around like he's in a muscle suit. But uh, it was it was kind of funny just to me, like, Chad Riggs more or less like a running towards cereal, dear body, and getting being in the face and then getting choked out by a 40-year-old kickboxer. I just found that kind of amusing, but uh, it, it was it was entertaining. You think Griggs is going to get cut? Um, Probably not. Not yet, uh, right? I mean, both his losses have been embarrassing as hell. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Possibly, because just talking about it, I just remember Travis Brown hit a double flying knee on him and then choked him out. He might get cut. And you know what's crazy? Chad Grizz was supposed to fight uh, uh, Phil Davis at one point. Oh, God. That would have been a slaughter, a moment of silence for that poor bastard. Yeah, but he might get cut just because his two losses, they've been embarrassing. Embarrassing is putting it mildly, and I feel bad. The the dude is marketable. He's kind of a he he you know he's he's an enjoyable guy to have around. He's like a gatekeeper kind of a dude, but he just gets when he loses, he just loses badly. Yeah, he, he gets straight embarrassed and like I gotta see if both these losses were like by decision. But if you you out there getting mauled by dudes like now, nah, you you need to go back to fighting fires. Well, one thing, one thing that <laughs> I like how you got to throw that out there for the for the listening audience that isn't aware he is indeed a firefighter. <laughs> but um, Patrick Cote and Alessio Sakara, I was actually pumped for this fight. I like watching Patrick Cote fight. He was he had the home field advantage. Alessio Sakara likes to go out there and, and and put on entertaining fights. And the way that fight ended, when he he dropped. At least four hammer fists in the back of Patrick Cote's head, and I don't know 
what the fuck was up with the with the ref. I'm like, dude, did you not see the first three of them? The so thing was, I think he said, watch the back of the head. Yep. But then he allowed him to hit him five more times. That's what I'm saying. It, like, at that point. It's like, it's, it should have been watch the back of the head. He hit him a first time. Stop the fight right there. Tell him, yo, we're taking away a point and restart it. Because if you were already warning him and he proceeded to still bludgeon that guy like a hammer with a nail, that's a fucking problem. Like, really, you don't even got to take that point. Really, you stop the fight and be like, don't don't hit him to the back. Like, you don't have to stop the fight. I mean, you have to stop the fight and, like, separate him and then, like, tell him what you're doing. Right. In the heat of the moment, he's not even thinking about that. In the heat of the moment, he's like, I got him hurt. Try to hit him. And as a referee, you have to step in before you have something embarrassing. Like, getting hit to the back of your brain stem over and over is not something that is good for your health. Like, <laughs> be like you needed to stop that. Well, well, you know I, what? The, I, I mean, it's good he got disqualified, but it, it wasn't. It was, it was bad. Well, the thing I was saying too with stopping the fight is you got to tell his fucking translator. So it's like you have to stop it. Walk him over to the guy. Have the guy be like, you know, miscusi, fucking elbows to the back of the head, and then you know continue the fight. So that that's why I was saying you got to stop it. And for before anybody gets offended that I used a lame-o Italian stereotype joke, my wife is Sicilian, so calm the fuck down before anybody gets out of hand. But but seriously, like at that point, you got to stop. Tell the translator. Translator has to tell him, hey, you know, you're fucking beating this guy, his fucking brains in, and then you resume the fight. And then you know his manager Lex McMahon, who we've had on the show before, he's like, oh well, we're gonna appeal that loss, and you know we're gonna appeal the loss, and we want a rematch. And I'm like, nobody said Alessio Sakara was a dirtbag. The only shit he fucking did was he bludgeoned the back of that guy's fucking brain pan. That's all. Yeah, basically. I mean, they're probably going to have a rematch. Like, that's not... It's probably going to happen. The whole problem is, like, it should have never gotten to that point. Right. It's not necessarily Sakara's fault that it got to that point. But nope. it should have never been to where he's beating the back of a man's head like that. Like, it just should have never got there. Hell no. Now, moving up into the pay-per-view side of things, Mark Hominick, Pablo Garza, a, a very, very enjoyable fight. Pablo Garza looked really good in that fight. I was bummed only because, you know, Mark Hominick's had so much shit going on going into the fight, and it wasn't... He didn't look terrible in that fight, but he definitely... Something seemed to miss there, too. Ever since Sean Thompson has died, he's looked off. Like, he, like before, when Sean Tompkins was alive, when he was coming up in the WC before he fought Jose Aldo, he was beating dudes to the body, like, just beating dudes up. And then after the loss of Jose, Jose Aldo, which there's no there's no shame in losing to Jose Aldo. Hell, he took a 10-8 round on Jose Aldo. He beat the hell out of Jose Aldo in that fifth round. That's right. Then after that, it just, it, Sean Tompkins died, and he, I, I guess the death of his best friend and trainer, it's it, it messed him up. I mean, it's messed up a bunch of those fighters. Sam Stout was the same way. Sean Tompkins was his brother-in-law, and Sam Stout hasn't won since uh, Sean Tompkins died either. It's just, these dudes, like, I, I guess, like, that, that, that has screwed them up to the point where they just can't fight the same. But Pablo Garza not taking anything away from him. He did a good job. I don't think he's going out 
like winning any titles or nothing, but because he can't wrestle to save his life, but um, he did a pretty good job um, nullifying uh, what Hominick was trying to do and, and beating him up on the feet a bit. Well, the thing with with Mark Hominick and a lot of these guys, they they, they seem to be more cerebral guys, and sometimes those guys like him and Sam Style, sometimes they need like you need a change of scenery. You know, maybe you got to link up with another camp and kind of go back to basics and start over. Because the, these guys are super talented. Like, Mark Hominick can still go out there and fuck up most of the featherweight division with zero issue. But it just seems that he, he's still in that in that Sean Tompkins training mentality, but he doesn't have that guiding light that he had when, you know, Sean Tompkins was alive. And when you get into a situation like that where you've trained with a guy, it's like... Uh, Mark Hominick, Sam Stout, I can use the uh, the analogy of Mike Tyson and Customato. After Customato died, you know Mike Tyson's fucking career just to just just fucking took a turn for the worse. And and you know I kind of want to put that in the same in the same category with these guys. It's like you know these guys they come up and and, and somebody finds all their strengths, nurtures them, and grows them, and then they're left out in the cold. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is that, too, because, I mean, I mean Sam Stout did move, but he moved to a camp that was basically the same thing. He moved to Sit Your Song, and it's not like Sit Your Song is that different from Tompkins Camp. He right. was strictly more time, but I don't think, I think Hominick has, I know Hominick hasn't moved, and I think he's trying to run that camp, too, because um, whenever the other dudes, like when you see Chris Hordesky or a couple other Tompkins fighters fight, Hominick is in that corner. So I don't think, He's moved anywhere, and I think it's it's affected him that he's trying to be a trainer, and a coach, also a fighter, yep. and you lost your trainer and coach and best friend. Like it, it's just, it's a lot of stuff swirling around. And honestly, it would have been probably better for him not to fight right away. But he's taken three fights and lost all three since then. Well, he had a baby too. That's true. He's trying to get paid. <laughs> it's not like he could have still not made money like training people and stuff. Like he should have just probably stepped away from fighting at least for a little while. Yep. Just so he could like get his mind right because like like Slick said in the chat, fighting is, is mostly mental. You gotta be in the right mindset and he's obviously hasn't been in the right mindset for quite some time. For real, man, shit is crazy. And um I do gotta say that one of the low points of that entire card, dude, that Tom Lawler Francis Carmont fight. Holy shit, was that fight fucking boring. Carmont didn't want to engage, and Lawler was really just trying to put in work, but Carmont wasn't even trying to make that fight exciting. I'm actually happy that I uh, I went to watch the fight with some friends at Buffalo Wild Wings because during that, got to see the Oregon-Stanford uh, football game. Ah, look at that. That was far more exciting. That was far more exciting than that terrible fight. <laughs> not so, only that, but it's like, I, 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 how did Lawler not win that fight? I like Francis huh? That was some bullshit. How did Lawler not win that fight, dude? I was like, yo, what the fuck? He had him in that in that in that standing in that standing choke. I, I don't even know. I don't. I honestly can't tell you how he won that fight. It, it's bad judging. I think I think Carmon should have lost that fight because he really didn't do anything to win the fight. Hell no. Like, I, I just, and, and it's weird because Francis Carmon is normally, not that he's like this super exciting fighter or anything, but he's normally not that passive. Oh, dude, just, it like, was over the top. Like, I'm not engaging at all. Like, nope. Be over here. Like, it was, 
it was strange to me. Uh, it, it was it was uh, it was a horrible fight. You know, shit is bad when Dana White goes on Twitter and goes, "Yo, who cares about this this fight? They both lost." Yeah, it, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that fight was terrible. Dana White being Dana White, man, but sometimes you gotta call a spade a spade. I'm like, damn, this fight was bullshit. Yeah, that fight, nah, but that fight was not not worth it. <laughs> but then you know it got that fight was redeemed when Johnny Hendricks sent Martin Campman into the fucking Phantom Zone. <laughs> Dude, Dude it, punch, and like. And the crazy thing is, like, when, when you're at a bar or something, like, because of the, the there's so much other ambient sound or whatever, like, um, you don't necessarily hear the fight. As soon as that punch landed, it got quiet. Like, everybody's like, what the fuck? How did that happen? Like, because you looked away and looked back, and Martin Cadman was in his fighting stance falling down. Like, he, his arms and legs didn't move. He just fell down, squared up. That was crazy. I've never seen Martin Cameron get knocked out like that. Like, I've seen Martin Cameron get hurt, but straight. Like, he looked like he got shot. <laughs> he was done. He was done. And, like, that punch didn't even land all that clean. Like, damn. And, it, and it's funny because, you know, Martin, Martin Campman, Muay Thai specialist, that dude's taking elbows to the head, knees to the face, and he stands like it's all good. And, yo, he took a, 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 not a glancing shot, but it's like, yo, the guy didn't fully extend when he contacted your face, and he fucking sent you into the next dimension. Like, niggas were saying on Twitter that he shit himself when he got knocked out. I don't know how true that is, but it's like, yo, if, he, if you shit yourself from a knockout, that's a problem. If he did shit himself, I wouldn't even... <laughs> I wouldn't even. I wouldn't be surprised. He, when he fell down, he was still squared up. Yep. He he didn't. His facial expression, his hands, none of that changed. He got hit and fell straight down. I was like, damn. Johnny Hendricks punches really, really, really hard. Like I've never seen Martin Kevin get knocked out like that. That that was nasty. Well, it was funny because Bloodstain Lane put out a, a video recently, and he was like, he was like, Johnny Hendricks is a big wood chopping lumberjack looking motherfucker. And he was like, he was like, oh, he is exciting to watch. His wrestling is good, and he just comes out there, and he he could come in there and wrestle and smother and cover, dude. But it's all about the napalm fist. Yeah, Johnny Hendricks. I mean, I mean, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but Johnny Johnny Hendricks when he was wrestling at Oklahoma State was a very big deal. Like, four-time national champion, uh, lost, I think, twice in four years. Like, he was a beast wrestler. And, like, I was listening to an interview, and he was like, when I started doing MMA, I realized I could punch really, really hard. So I didn't really need to use the wrestling. Like, <laughs> he just realized he could, he could just throw a punch and knock you completely out. Like, I've, I've never seen Martin Cameron be like that. That was that was brutal. Well, here's, here's, a, here's a crazy thing now, because, of course, Johnny Hendricks that he kind of makes a case for himself to get a title fight. But me, and, and I've been seeing it a lot, I think that a, a good return fight would be him, Nick Diaz, winner gets GSP. I, will, I would love to see that fight. Um, I would love to see if Nick Diaz's chin could stand up to that. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I would, I would really love to see that fight. Just, just to see 
what he could do because Johnny Hendricks is a good wrestler, like um, collegiate wrestler. But his MMA wrestling, he never, he doesn't really use it, so I don't know how good it is. Right. So I would, I would really be interested to see like how that fight goes because if he can't knock Diaz out, he's just going to get punched a lot. He's going to get the Stockton but, slap <laughs> for five yeah, rounds. He's going to get punched a lot. <laughs> That's that's what Diaz does. Like if you don't hurt him or hold him down, you're just gonna get punched a lot, a bunch of times, and they might not all hurt, but they're gonna keep hitting you over and over again. And Diaz Diaz can submit him, you know. Yeah, Diaz can submit him. I mean, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen Diaz submit anybody in years, but I'm sure he can still do it. But yeah, Diaz probably could submit him if, if it hit the ground. So I, I would love to see the fight. Well. Let's get into let's get into the title fight. Of course, you 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 know you fe- you said you know J- Carlos Condit definitely was going to go in there and push the pace, which he did. And you said it. You're like, I wouldn't be shocked if Carlos Condit beat GSP. But as much as we joked about it, GSP, it's like they rebuilt him, and he came back rusty as shit. But even a rusty GSP was a dangerous GSP. That was the most aggressive I've seen GSP since he fought John Pitch. Yep. That, that by far, that was the most aggressive I've seen him. Like, and and I and I, I want to make this clear to everybody. Like, I don't think that GSP is like out here not trying to finish fights. Nope. Like, I think a lot of it is dudes. Like, when they fight GSP and Carlos Condit, to his credit, didn't do this at all. A lot of dudes once they get start getting taken down and they give up or they mentally get get it to the point where, dude, I'm not gonna beat this dude. So. I might as well just survive five rounds. Carlos Condit wasn't even thinking like that. Carlos Condit was like, I'm trying to win from bell to bell. Like, he was he was trying to sweep. He was trying. And, and the crazy thing was, Carlos Condit's wrestling has gotten so much better, and it just didn't fucking matter at all. Dude, like, how the it, hell? It was crazy. Like he, Go ahead. But it, it was crazy that like, he was getting switches, trying to, trying to sweep, all this other stuff. And GSP was like, yeah fuck that, I'm going to take you down over and over again, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. Like, it's hey, crazy. You, hey, you want to test my guard? Okay, let's test my guard. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> crazy, like... Yo, I was like, when he, he, he'd get, ta- GSP would, 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 would sweep to the, to the, to, and transition from, from f- side control, like nothing. You see Carlos Condit trying to, trying to put, his foot on his hip to try and, you know, push him off, and it just be straight transitions. Every fucking time. I was like, holy shit. But I tell you what, I think I think I died inside a little bit when Carlos Condit hit him with that head kick. It was like the world just stopped. Everybody in Canada just got super quiet. You could hear a pin drop. And the and the hematoma instantly downloaded right onto the side of his head when he got kicked. Like, yo, look at that baby growing out of your head, that quato. Growing out of your fucking head. Dude, that kick was crazy. It, it was a beautiful kick. Like, the setup for that kick, he kind of ducked down, and so it made it look like he was going for a body punch, and it came up with the kick. That was a great kick, and that was the most hurt I've seen GSP since Matt Serra hit him. Like, that was, that was the most. And it, it was crazy that he, he recovered from that and recovered really, really well. And it was, I don't know. Like, I, I give Carlos Conner all the credit in the world for surviving because a lesser fighter with that kind of aggressive GSP, unless you're John Fitch and you just like enjoy getting your ass beat for five rounds, a lesser fighter would have just got TKO'd. 
Carlos Condit from the from the beginning of the fight to the end of the fight was trying to win, and I give him all all the credit for that because I think I think Carlos Condit will be back in the title picture because I don't see many people out there who can beat him. Well, here's and I give him all the credit for staying up there with GSP like that. Well, here's here here's the obviously before we even talk about the whole super fight scenario, GSP, Johnny Hendricks. You think Hendricks has a chance with the napalm fist to test to tap GSP's jaw? He has a chance, but it's very unlikely that he'll do it. GSP won't. GSP is too smart for GSP that shit. Comes out and fights like he does now. He's gonna take him down. GSP ain't playing these games. He's gonna take you down. Dude, he, that high crotch fucking slam that he's got is beautiful, dude. He sneaks it right in there. Just dip, just, just dip grip, and flip immediately. Yeah, like, it, it's crazy. Like, he, he hits that. He hits that kneecap. Like, GSP is just going to take you down. Like, there's very little you can do about it. It's how many times can either you get up or you, when the round starts, and he decides to keep it on the feet. How long, what can you do when you're on the feet? Outside of that, if Johnny Hendricks gets the opportunity to land that punch, he could probably knock him out. I just don't think he's going to have the chance to. I think GSP will take him down, and it, it will just be five rounds of GSP playing bottle guns on his face. Well, I think I think that that GSP, if he fought Nick Diaz and he fought the the same aggressive style with Nick Diaz, he might he might really take it to Nick Diaz because Dick, Nick Diaz does. A lot of you know he he has great boxing, great great footwork, and he can probably he'll he'll definitely tap GSP's jaw, but he's not putting him to sleep with it, you know. Yeah, like the the, the best chance you have to beat GSP is to hit him with one a one hit quitter. You need to hit him one time. You can't beat him. What what the Diaz brothers do very well is like death by paper cut. They hit you a billion times. <laughs> And eventually, you you you, you, you just can't give up. Stand yeah, eventually, like you just mentally give up. He's not gonna be able to do that, GSP, because GSP will just take him down. Like, like you, you have to be able to do something like what Johnny Hendricks will be able to do. To him, what Carlos Condit could possibly do to him. Um, I mean, I can't think of really any other welterweights that really had that. Well, uh, Nate Marco would be able to do to him. But you have to be able to get that one punch in or kick in that's going to put him down. Otherwise, you're just going to get taken down. Well, the way I see it, the way I see it with GSP right now, you saw he had that huge ice bag on the side of his face. He he's like, yo, I am rusty as shit. <laughs> you know, he he's gonna go to the club, have some sex with a couple of French models, chill out, and and you know, of course, everybody wants that the Anderson Silva fight. Anderson Silva even said he's like, I'll fight him because Anderson Silva knows that he will be swimming in money like Scrooge McDuck. When that fight goes down, and honestly, it, it, it people are like, yeah, you know, it's not going to be a title fight. But honestly, if GSP fights Hendricks or he doesn't fight Hendricks, and all he has left is Diaz, it's like, yo, GSP could go up to eighty-five and fight fight Anderson Silva for the belt. It's a fifteen-pound difference at that point, and it's not like GSP has trouble cutting weight. No. I mean, GSP has said if he goes up to 85, he wants to build a 185-pound body. Like, he wants to get up to, like, 210 and then be able to cut down. Because he, he only walks around about 190-something right now. But um, as far as the super fight goes, I might be in a minority. really don't think it would be a good idea for GSP to fight Anderson Silva right now. Um, right now. 
coming off that ACL surgery, and even though he looked great against Carlos Connie, if Anderson Silva lands that kick, yeah, it's lights out, go. dude. Anderson yeah, Silva like, knocked knocked out um knocked out Vitor Belfort with with a lighter kick than that. <laughs> yeah, like you, you, you're not you're not you're not regaining <laughs> consciousness. So I think for him, it wouldn't be the best. It wouldn't be the best idea business wise right now to fight him. Like yeah, you fight Hendricks, you beat Hendricks, you fight Diaz, you beat Diaz. Then I think you can be like, okay, um, now we can do a fight. But right now, I think the fight for Anderson Silva. And I know some people don't particularly like the idea or think that John Jones hasn't done enough to deserve this fight, but that's the fight I want to see. So yeah. We could, well, I think John Jones will run game on Anderson Silva, but I, w- I would like to see that fight more than I would like to see the GSP fight because it's not as big as um, discrepancy in size. Well, the way the way I see it is like this: it's a it, it, from a weight standpoint, Anderson Silva has the most to gain from fighting either guy, but him fighting GSP. And GSP coming up to 85 leaves 85 with a guy that can still deliver exciting fights. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And not only that, yeah. if Anderson Silva loses to GSP at 85, he can still do one more fight, with, do the John Jones fight as his last fight and retire. Nobody would think any less of him because the fight will still be exciting. True. You know True. what I mean? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, right now... The UFC really thinks they need a super fight. They need something big to because their, their pay per view numbers haven't been great this year. That's the whole reason that this is even being talked about. I just I don't know if if I was GSP's manager right now, I'd be like, yo, don't that you don't need to do this right now. Well, like, I can like, I can a couple more fights in at one seventy and then and then you know. Do that. <laughs> well, you know, you got to look at it like this, and this is this is the crazy thing. If Dana White throws out a number, that you and 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 gives him a cut of of the pay per view buy rate, and not to mention the build up, because you know they'll do the twenty four seven specials and shit. The payday is going to be there. GSP will take his time for that fight. Like if they do that fight, let's say they schedule that fight in May or June, you got you know seven months of build up. And seven months of training. Because, you know, GSP will be the kind of dude, he'll take a couple of weeks off, and then he'll he'll train for six months for that fight. Because he's that type of a dude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think if, it, if, if it doesn't happen in May, if GSP doesn't fight this over in May, it's never going to happen. Like Because it, it, that's the date they're, they, they're, set, they're setting. Supposedly they... They put a deposit down on Cowboy Stadium, all this other shit. Like, if it doesn't happen in May, it's not happening, like at all, ever. Yeah, that fight in Cowboy Stadium I, would be bananas. I know, I know, dudes that, that that have told me that if that fight happens, they'll troop to Texas to see that fight. Shit, I might have to go to Texas to see that fight if that really happens. Yeah, dude. Because, well, th- think about it. You are filling an entire stadium, but the problem is that. In order to make that card more appealing, you have to make your main event and co-main events ridiculous. Like it's got to be, um, you know, Silva and um, GSP, and you got to do, um, you know, Gilbert Melendez and and Bendo. You know. Yes, I mean you got to You have to do something like that. You have to do something huge. Yep. Like. I mean, you can't sell it with one fight. Fight that card because 
he's been fighting a month before. But it's got to be like that or like the Strike Force dudes coming over, like so- something. Ronda Rousey on the card, something. It has to be something else on the card that gets people's attention. Yo, it should all be, like I said, unifying title fights. With the exception, of course, of, um, you know, Anderson Silva and this dude. But the, yeah. but unify the, all those other belts. In there against somebody. Huh. Eddie, Eddie Alvarez, dude. Eddie Alvarez could come in and, and, and fight Gilbert Melendez and people would lose their shit for that fight, dude, too. That, that would be the fight to put on there. Just put Eddie Alvarez. Like, you make it the number one contender fight for the next dude to fight uh, 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 whoever wins uh, Ben Henderson and, and Nate. That would be, that would be insane. That would be nasty. They, they, they'll figure out something. Well, mo- uh, moving on from that, of course, some bonuses got handed out. Johnny Hendricks, of course, got his nice seventy grand for uh, sending Martin Campman to the cleaners. Um, Ivan Menjavar got submission of the night with his beautiful submission. That was the transition for him to bag that submission in the blink of an eye. It was over. So he deserved it. Also, it was really stupid on his opponent. Like, hey, he has a hold of my arm. Oh, yeah, let me just give like, it up. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, hey, yeah. yeah. He did it twice. Like, it wasn't like it, he didn't do an elaborate setup for this armbar. He did it twice, but, you know. Well, <laughs> I'm going to let him snap my arm. Well, on the, on the subject of Gilbert Melendez that we were talking about, you know, he's supposed to be defending his lightweight title in January, and he's saying, um, you know, Dana White said in an interview he did with the Montreal Gazette, that he believed that Melendez will still be sidelined and not compete in January against Pat Healy. So, obviously, that's a big thing, which goes to what we were saying about a big fight for, you know, in May. Because, yo, if he can't even defend his belt in January, that's a fucking problem. At that point, you might as well just unify the fucking belts and bring Pat Healy in, do a number one contender's fight. You can do a number one contender's fight with him. And Alvarez, and then you know, do Gilbert and either Bendo or Nate unify those belts, and then Pat Healy at least still gets a title shot. Yeah, if Pat Healy was in the UFC, he would be getting a title shot. Um, Pat Healy's a good lightweight, but he's not. No, but uh, what I'm saying it from not. the standpoint of not fucking him over, you know, like the dude was challenging for the belt. You got to still respect yeah, I mean, that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully, hopefully, what they do is even if they don't give them a direct like just just straight up title shot, give them like a dude that's in that number one contender stream, like Eddie Alvarez or or like um, I'm trying to think of who else will be in the like contender stream. Just somebody who's in that like one fight away from the title kind of stream. Yeah. Instead of just because you might not be able to give him that immediate title shot, but at least give him a big big fight. So if he wins, he can be moved into that title shot. Well, switching gears from Strike Force, Bellator went down Friday. They had some really good fights there. Um, I was I was happy for Marlon Sandro taking his taking getting his win on on Dustin Nice. Uh, Dave Jansen, Ricardo Terloni was was a very exciting fight. Of course, Marcin held. Rich Clemente was solid. Um, what'd you think of the card? Bell- Bellator's been delivering quality shit as of late, man. Yeah, they, they they they've been pretty good with all their weird name Russian dudes. Um, <laughs> so they've 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 had a pretty good pretty good product. I, I just wish that they wouldn't be so frivolous with like signing 
yeah. convicted criminals. That's, but, a, uh, that's a separate issue. That, they, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they need to stop with that bullshit. But uh, outside of that, I mean, they've done a pretty good uh, pretty good job um, this year. I mean, this is all leading up to when they go on to uh, Spike. Um, it should be it that hopefully they get uh, everything in order because uh, this, this season has been pretty good. Um, I would have liked to see, you know, some other dudes in there, like one of the Pitbull brothers or, you know, some other guys. But, you know, um, it's been a pretty good season. I was sad to hear, though, that Rich Clemente announced his retirement after losing to Marcine Held. Um, he was saying that, you know, his ankle was injured and yeah, he had a couple of injuries going in. Et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm sad to see him go just because that guy, he's, you know, people are like, oh, he's a journeyman or whatever, but wherever he's gone, it's not like he's delivered shitty fights. Yeah, Rich Clemente, I mean, he, he's been around forever. He, he, he's a pretty good fighter. Um, he, I think he's been fighting since, what, 1999? Yep. I mean, he's been fighting forever. Dude, so, he's 45 you know, and 22 is his record. Yeah, he's been fighting <laughs> a long, long time. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy that he went out and he, he's not going out with, like, brain or at least apparent brain damage or anything. He, he knew when to leave. Um, he's not getting knocked out every other fight or anything like that. He just knew when to leave, called the quits, and I, I uh, commend him for that. I was laughing because for Legacy Fighting Championships, you know, Robert Drysdale was fighting, and it's like, Rob Drysdale wins by submission, and I'm like, shot, big shocker there, guys. Big shocker there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Robert Drysdale is out here going to be spinning back kicking people. No. It's I like, oh, he won by submission. Though. Thanks. <laughs> like, thanks for sure. Like, that's the way he's going to win. So, well, I didn't see that fight. I didn't get a chance to see that. I had to find, I had to find highlights from it on YouTube. But, um, you know, it, it, the other organizations are putting on some solid fights. And, of course, sw- jumping back to the UFC... Dana White, he was talking in a press conference. He said that Henan Burrell is going to have to defend his interim bantamweight title. What do you think? Uh, doesn't surprise me that the only problem I have with interim titles is the whole point of the interim title was for it to be defended. But what a lot of these guys do is because the UFC gives them the option to do is just sit and wait for the top, uh, the, the actual, uh, the real champion. I would prefer that you fight. And the Michael McDonald fight, I, I don't want to see it. I want to see these dudes fight. Like, I I, I mean, I, I understand why once you win, you know, the uh, interim that you don't want to fight. Like, you don't want to screw that up. But, come on, you got to fight. Yep. And, uh, you know, you can't you can't just sit sit on that and, and, and forever. Like, I don't know. Like, I didn't have a huge problem with, with Carlos Condit only because he won that fight with Diaz in, what, February? Yep, and, and he got kind of fucked over. A, yeah, and then um, almost had another fight, and then that fell through, so he waited until November. That's fine, but Hannibal Rao won't be able to, um, um, what the fuck, what, uh, wouldn't be fighting until late next year or something? And Henan Burrell don't even got that kind of clout. <laughs> it's not like he got that kind of clout. Like, he's putting that kind of money in yeah, seats. Like, it's like, yo, shut up. You're a bathroomweight. Like, you don't have a say. Yeah. You're, it's like, it's like, dude, like, Jose Aldo kind of would get a pass. But it's you're not Jose, yeah, Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo, maybe Dominic Cruz. Right. If he decided he didn't want to fight for a while, but you're not. 
Yeah, you're still a baby, dude. Like you gotta chill. You better put that fucking belt on the line and and not talk any shit. Yeah, like I mean, I understand why he didn't want to fight, but you gotta go ahead and fight. Well, on the women's MMA front, you know, with the UFC women's division, uh, Sarah McMahon. That it's rumored that she'll be signing with the UFC. Of course, 2004 Olympic silver gold medalist in freestyle wrestling. So you, so we know what to expect when she gets in there. And um, you know, yeah. she got six wins, no losses, three wins via submission, and people are already looking at her as a potential opponent for Rousey. I honestly think she would be the only chick that could actually. Like she's the only person, like athletically, that can fuck with Rousey. Like what? What Rousey does outside of being like amazing technician with judo is she just is out physically out physicaling a lot of these chicks. Like she's just a physical specimen that a lot of these females just can't handle. Sarah man is the same way, and I, I think that would that would be the one fight um, um, that um, would you would be able to, to, to see someone who's just as athletic, I think, um, who, who's, who can do some of the same things she can. And then she'd have to show, like, that she can box. Or, like, they would, the two of them would show, have to show that the other can do other things than they were made. Because basically the two of them... Cancel each fought, other out. Only shown that they're really... Yeah, they, they won't. All Ronda Rousey's going to do is get a hold of you and armbar you. Yeah, that's, I wouldn't. That's it right now. That's it. I mean, you know what's funny though? Uh, I I can see Sarah Man trying to go in there and shoot for that na- for a nasty double, try and drop her on her head, and then as soon as she drops her on her head, she gets caught in a fucking submission. Yeah, that could happen. Like, <laughs> oh, the, the thing with Ronda is like that armbar. That's not the only thing she can do. Right. It's just so that she chooses to do it, and it's and so it's not easy. The only submission she knows. And it's so easy. Like, people just dangle it out there. That's the problem, too. It's like, she's the kind of chick that has mastered her her technique so well that it's like, oh, look, you're reaching to, to hold me down so I don't use ground and pound. Thanks for the arm. Oh, you're trying to protect and keep me from passing guard. Oh, thanks for the arm. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's 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 more or less like you, you set it up. Like, she could do, I mean, I don't know how many different submissions she knows from judo like i don't know that much about judo except some of the throws but i'm pretty sure she knows quite a few bit of submissions so <laughs> well it, in a in a in a in the most random bit of news i heard today which i saw in middle easy and i needed to to pick your brain about it todd duffy back in the ufc <laughs> um hey that's heavyweight mma like, like he's a decent heavyweight MMA fighter. Um, he made a shitty uh, movie. Well, that never backed down to. Yeah, it was a terrible movie. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, Poor Michael Jai White, man. And I like Michael Jai White, but that shit was horrible. Yeah, that shit was bad, dude. Um, I watched that movie on fast forward for the fights only. I didn't even do that. Like, um, I watched the whole thing just because I saw, I liked the first never back down. Like, it wasn't horrible. I was like, oh, let's see what this is. It's supposed to got Michael Jai White. Yeah, that shit was terrible. Um, ugh. Yeah. But uh, Todd Duffy, you know, he, he's got, I think I went, yeah, he, he won a fight in Super Fight League. Um, he, he won, I don't remember who he fought. Yeah, he killed he the dude. He murdered death, killed the dude. Yeah. 
he got his ass whooped by Overeem in like twenty seconds or something like that. Yeah, but but so, but he fought know. Overeem. He fought Overeem. Just the, the, that fight for Overeem. If if you remember, they couldn't even find Overeem an opponent. That was true. Like, definitely, like, <laughs> except to find, like, two days out yep. or something, something like crazy. He's like, yo, I'll yeah. go out there and take the well, fight. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Lose some brain cells. Um, you know, uh, I'm interested to see, uh, yeah, oh, the Silver said in the chat, Neil Grove. That's who definitely beat Neil Grove. Um, I'm interested to see what uh, Duffy can do in the UFC. Will he ever be a champion? No. But he, you know, he's, he's a big jack dude that can hit really hard. Pretty athletic. I'm, I'm interested to see what he can do in the UFC. Shit, I would have taken Todd Duffy against um, Big Country versus Big Country and Matt Mitrione. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, right. That would have been that would have been a slugfest. Really excited about that fight at all. <laughs> or I would have taken Mitrione um, against Duffy. I would have liked Mitrione against Duffy. I wouldn't. And I even still would take Big Country against Duffy. I don't know. There's something about like not not that Mitrione is not a, a fun heavyweight to watch. He's just going to get his ass whooped again because I think they fought on the show. So, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, I'd watch I'd watch Duffy fight a lot of heavyweights. I mean, he's a decent heavyweight. Like, I mean, people forget like when he knocked out um, Tim Hayes um, in like eight seconds. Or something like that. Like people were really like, "Oh, this dude's about to be a champion," and then you know he he loses like a freak, gets a freak knockout against him against uh, Mike Russo after he was whooping Mike Russo's ass. Like he he's not a bad heavyweight. He's just kind of a weird person. Well, the fun <laughs> the 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 crazy thing out of all of that is that you know he's coming in, he's uh, he's he's stepping in, he's fighting Phil DeFries. Um, Chris Weidman is off the fi- off his fight with with Tim Bocek. Uh, Constance Philippou is taking his place. Obviously, he he couldn't do his fight with Nick Ring, so whatever that worked out well. But the crazy thing is that you still Dana White was saying he's like we got all these fights coming up and we still got Ronda Rousey debuting in the UFC. So whatever card she debuts on, you got to stack that card too. Yeah. Um... The only thing I have about the Rock Rousey thing is I don't know how long women fights are going to be in the UFC. Only because women's sports in general tend not to sell. Like, well, I love Invicta. But Invicta isn't selling pay-per-views. Invicta shows that show for free for a reason. Right. Like, But if they were smart, if the UFC was smart, what they would do is they would set them up. You'd have one women's fight on free TV, start testing it out on free TV first, you know, like throw them in there, UFC on FX, UFC prelims, and then start moving them up. And then if you start seeing more exciting fights, some knockouts, some good shit, then you can add one or two fights in there. Because in my opinion, the way I see it is title fights, pay-per-view, unless you want to give away one of those fights on Fox. But the problem is with giving a fight away like that on Fox, we don't know how the general public is going to respond to a woman getting her ass whooped. On national television. I mean, well, they responded well when uh, Dina Carano fought uh, Cyborg on uh, CBS, I think. Right, but you know what um, it is? Well, you know how Fox is fucking... They, as much as they try not to, to be hands-on with the UFC, you know, people are stupid. They'll be like, oh my god, they got these women, they're bleeding on national television, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I will give Fox that. They've done a pretty good job of, like, not fucking shit up because Fox could seriously fuck something up if they decided to just start trying to match make and shit. But um, I give them credit for not trying to be too hands-on. But, yeah, I can I can definitely see them be like, yeah, we can't have these Ronda Rousey out here snapping chicks' arms. Nope. On national television, like that's gonna make somebody upset. Yeah, that'll hurt. That'll hurt somebody's feelings know. if she break a chick's arm on television, dude. Yeah, so, some some soccer mom will get upset that little Billy watched a mildly attractive woman break another woman's arm on television. Yep. So, you know, um, you know, you you gotta you gotta kind of watch what you put on there, but uh, I don't, I don't know. And the silver said in the chat, Ronda Rousey versus Gina Carano. Gina Carano ain't fighting him no more. She gonna come back. She's she's, she's getting that Fast and Furious money. Yeah, she's only making shitty action movies. She's getting coming back. She dude, she's in fat. She's in Fast Six with The Rock. That's all I'm saying. I wonder if they're gonna change her voice again. I don't know. I you know what was funny? Her voice in Haywire sounded so weird, especially when I knew they changed it. Because you know they were trying to make her sound less like hi and more like hi. How's it going? And it was just like yo, come on. But with her with her doing movies with like The Rock and stuff, she's always gonna be the chick that you could look at as being, you know, the enforcer for a bad guy or or the or the partner of a cop. Like that's the kind of chick she'll be the kind of chick that they'll partner with like Jackie Chan in a Jackie Chan movie. Yeah, you know, I don't ain't coming back to MMA. She's never coming back to MMA and which is unfortunate. I mean, she was a decent fighter. The Silva's right, um, though. That would be that would be major paper for that fight. <laughs> you know oh, that. That would be ridiculous amount of money if she came back. But the problem with that is she she ain't thinking about it. Man. The only way like, the, there was a little while where she was coming back, and then you have to give her a lot of money to yep. come back to MMA. Well, the way I see it is everybody's talking about the cyborg situation, her not wanting to cut down to 135. And it's just like, yo, why don't you have Rousey fighter at 140, it's a five-pound difference, and unify the 135 and the 140 belt. That's all you got to do. Only problem with that is you don't really want to put Rousey in that situation because what if she loses? I mean, there's a very good chance Cyborg straight mollywops Rousey because Cyborg does that to people, and then um, she loses the belt. Then you have a 145 women's division, and we saw that basically Cyborg was fighting any chick they could find off the street. Like anyone and everyone, she felt like Jan Finney who was like six and eight. Well, then, like they then Cyborg's got to sell her uterus. That's all. That's what she got to <laughs> do. Take that baby make out something. <laughs> well, considering she's pumping steroids, she probably won't work anywhere. Well, that well, Ronda Rousey <laughs> was like, "Yo, stop juicing, and you can come down to one thirty-five. Stop, stop doing them drugs." She can come down to 135. I don't know why she out here lying that she can't um, come down to 135. Like you, you can you can cut the weight if you eat. It'll take a while. If she she needs to, you know, stop lifting as much weight. Stop taking steroids. There you go. Down to 135. Stop stop you stop it's using the juice. Impossible. Yeah, it's not an impossible feat like she likes to say it is. Well, you know what though? Worst case scenario. Even if Dana White didn't want to make it a title fight, be like, yo, Gina, I'll give you X amount of money. <laughs> come in come in here and do the job for this chick. <laughs> but yeah, then I mean But then it's like, yo, what if Gina Carano came back? 
What if Gina Carano came back and whooped Ronda Rousey's ass? Yeah, like you. That, <laughs> and then, then you have to keep paying her whatever absorbent amount of money you were paying her. Like you can't just like, oh, well, now we're giving you less. Nah, that's but not how it works. Between you and me, though, Gina Carano barely made fucking one forty-five. Remember, every way she did, she had to get butt naked. Yeah, well, she's gonna Gina have Carano to. She's she gonna have to take a titty out. Gina Carano couldn't make one thirty-five if she. Make one forty five before she was making that most of the money. You really think she cutting a one thirty five? Nah. Like <laughs> nah, I, like I said, she gonna have to sell a booby. Quano's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, an athletic big chick. Like she, you know, she can't can't do that. <laughs> yeah, Dana White would have to be like, listen, come back, do this fight for me, and you know, you could be a ring card girl. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, you can host yeah, you can host like yeah. UFC programming and fire fire Kenda Perez. Oh yeah, wasn't she a lane car girl at one time? No, dude, they got her. She hosts uh, the Best of Pride, and she was in something. I'm like, yo, where did they get her from? They did the uh, you know her, Brittany Palmer, and Ariane are in Maxim, and and for the life of me, yeah. I have no idea. It's like, yo, where did they get Kenda Perez from? Like, Ariane Celeste, uh, I know she was a hometown hottie for Maxim. Brittany Palmer's Brittany Palmer, who who I think, if you, had to, if you had to pick between the three of them, everybody's like, oh, Ariane's super hot. And I'm like, nah, Brittany Palmer's kind of, she's on a DL. Like, like, she's ill on a DL, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have no fucking idea what they got. Why are we talking about ring girls? I don't give a fuck about no ring girls. <laughs> Well, you, hey, hey, hey! You gotta, you gotta remember, we're we're the guys that have a fan page where the minute you put boobies on there, you get seventy eight likes. <laughs> let's not, let's not even oh, front. That always, but I, that I, always I, annoys me. Like, why do y'all care about ring girls? Like, they ain't doing nothing. But yeah, well, you know how it goes. I did, I did want to close out with um with this with this bit of of news. People were kind of taking Joe Rogan to task. For some of the comments he made during the during the fights, you know, like like talking about the referee being a fatty, and you know making a Lance Bass joke, hey, you know Joe Rogan's being yeah, Joe Rogan. Yeah, I saw that one. That was that was a bit much. Uh, Joe, come on, you don't think Joe Rogan is smoking a fat L before he goes on? He goes to do the card. He probably was smoking because that Lance Bass joke, like. Like whoa, dude, uh, that wasn't okay, <laughs> dude. When he did, when he did the fat joke, Slick and I were like, "Yo, he really straight just called that dude a fat piece of shit on television." He's like, "Yo, is there a weight limit to be yeah. a ref?" What? Oh, <laughs> this hurt somebody feelings. Like, like I, I don't know. He, it, it would not surprise me if Joe Rogan is high some of the time when he does some of these. Yo, things. Joe Joe Rogan smokes a fat blunt when he's not gonna be on TV. Like, you know, if it's like a UFC on Fox card where he gets shown like once, he's not <laughs> he, high as <laughs> high as shit, dude. Because sometimes I look at him with Dana, and you can see him and Dana just yelling into the camera, like, "Yeah, this pay per view is gonna be fucking insane. You're gonna see people bleed." Oh, it's like, yo, dude, you are smoking some legit. Alien shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah, he, uh, he, yeah. 
to, 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 to be on TV making, like, Lance Bass jokes, first of all, that's outdated. Second of all, you don't need to say that. Like, let, let that go. Like, that wasn't necessary. Well, well, you know what the problem is, too? He's creating an issue because if the wrong person takes that the wrong way, before you know it, Dana White's going to get hit up by Glad and hit up by special interest groups like, yo... You know, you guys are fucking Joe promoting. Rogan has already done that, though. He he got like some kind of internet beef with a uh, uh, MMA writer, uh, Thomas Rios, like. Oh like, yeah. Years ago. And yeah, and called him like a faggot, like on like on the internet or I think on TV or see, somewhere. I think and, it was like, on his show. Got all involved and shit. Huh? I think it was on his show. Yeah, like he 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 got in trouble for that. Like Joe Rogan. Honestly, I don't think Joe Rogan gives a fuck. Like, I, I really think, my, first of all, Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan, more Mike Goldberg is not the greatest at his job, but Joe Rogan is pretty good at technical breakdowns and stuff. Joe, Mike Goldberg comes off as a robot sometimes. Oh, but you're right. they ain't going nowhere. Like, I, they, they know they're not going anywhere. So, Joe Rogan knows. He can say whatever crazy outlandish thing he wants. It's not like the UFC is going to fire him. Because if you listen to his podcast, Joe Rogan's on there saying all sorts of absurd things. The aliens do when he talks about aliens and evolution and fucking government conspiracies. I'm like Joe, Joe, Joe. Exactly. He's like, I don't care. They're not I, gonna fire me for this. <laughs> I tell you what, though, I wouldn't mind if they brought in like Schiavello or Boss Rutten. Um, I wouldn't mind them or uh, or let Kenny Florian and uh, John Attic do it more. I don't know. I'm just. Because I've heard Rogan and, and uh, Goldberg so much, and because Goldberg comes off as a robot <laughs> almost all the time, and half the time I don't even know what the fuck he's talking about, like being corrected. Like, if you got to be corrected on national television, like, you need to shut the hell up. Like, <laughs> and, like Joe Rogan's like, nah, that's not what happened. So, like, it's just, like shut the hell up. Like, just read, read whatever video game they want you to advertise and sit and be quiet. Seriously, I got uh, I got to acknowledge uh, I got to acknowledge the silver. He said Brian Caraway should fight Ronda Rousey because he has elevated estrogen levels. Oh, <laughs> Brian Caraway, <laughs> being all mad and butt hurt that your girlfriend's arm got snapped. Oh, he Brian was Caraway is probably about to, oh wait he's about to get his ass whooped anyway. He's about to fight Mike Easton. About to get his ass whooped anyway. Well, no, the silver said he got pulled from the Mike Easton fight for elevated estrogen levels. You know what? I think I'm wrestling. Oh, he did get pulled from the Well, then. Never mind. Well, then. Rampage just said he got pulled from the fight because he got some nice titties. Oh, shit. Slick said Rampage. Rampage would have said he got nice titties. Ugh. All right. Oh, it's It's time to tie this up. All right. Um, you can find Ben on Twitter at Blackout89. Of course, he put up his brand new UFC 154 rundown, which was... Very, very enjoyable to read. Um, as always, make sure to hit him up either on the fan page, via his articles. Make sure to comment because it really upsets him that you guys don't. And he may show up at your house like Charles Bronson one night and really put the screws to you. So please make sure to comment. Let him know what you like, what you'd like to see. And um, that's it. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, that's brother. Thank you for Have stopping through. All right. Hi, man. Peace. All right, with that, let's get into the wrestling segment. And, of course, 
It wouldn't be a wrestling segment without everyone's favorite general manager, this guy. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! All right. Let's talk Survivor Series first, because Survivor Series had high points, low points, and what-the-fuck points. Um, Team Cobro took on the, 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 the 3MB. Jinder Mahal actually got the pinfall in that match with a full Nelson slam. I'm surprised that they haven't given him an off-the-top-road splash and called it the magic carpet ride, considering how fucking stereotypical they are with that poor bastard. But anyway, the 3MB continues on their winning ways, and Santino continues to reinforce the fact that he needs to be booted off my fucking television until they give him a new gimmick. Um, We had a traditional 5-on-5, Brodus... Uh, Kid and Gabriel, Team Mucha Lucha taking on Tensai, the Goya brothers, and the primetime players. Of course, Team Mysterio defeated, quote-unquote, Team Tensai. Uh, Mysterio, Sin Cara, Gabriel, and Kid survived. It was just a mauling. The match was decent at best. It was it was pretty enjoyable. Um, I, I continue to reinforce the fact that uh, Gabriel and Kid, you need to do something more with them. Super athletic. They know how to make... Their spots look super crisp, super clean. They really either need to be pushed individually or as a tag team because those guys are the future of this company. Simple as that. Of course, Eve Torres and Caitlin was exactly what you would expect. They were not going to put the belt on Caitlin, no matter how hot everybody thinks she is. They are putting all their eggs in one basket with Eve Torres. They need to call up more divas because I'm tired of seeing the same five matches every fucking week. But what can you do? Antonio Cesaro took on R-Truth in a very enjoyable match. I was very impressed with the chemistry these guys had. Um, the, the, what killed the match, in my opinion, was the crowd. More so, the crowd was fucking dead. But the match itself was very good. I think that you can probably get one or two more matches out of these guys. At which point, either you leave the belt on Truth and you move Cesaro to the upper mid-card. Or... Um, you continue to push Cesaro and then move him on to another feud. Either way, these guys are doing really well together. Maybe they'll do a, a blow-off match at the TLC, just something to, to wrap up that feud really nice. But we'll see. Overall, their chemistry was really, really good. Um, we had an AJ-Vicky Guerrero exchange, uh, whatever. Tamina fucking comes out, kills AJ dead with the Superfly Splash. For It's been like six months that people have been saying they were going to align Tamina with Vicky Guerrero. I'm surprised it took this long. But it's good to see another diva on TV. Not only that, but one that has such a commanding presence as a heel. So, I'm glad she's getting used. It, it helps out the divas division in the long run. Sheamus and the Big Show was complete shit. It, it went exactly the way you would have thought with the Big Show still retaining. I thought that Cody would have came out and cashed it in. But, you know, he didn't. We ended up going... Right after that, into the 5-on-5 Survivor Series match, of course, reinforcing that he is one of the best guys on the roster. Team Ziggler survived. He was the sole survivor in the match. A lot of awesome spots. Randy Orton teasing the punt kick, which, of course, has everybody um, noticing that he is definitely going to be turning heel soon. It's been all over the web. Um, it was nice to see that, especially because it's a move that is is associated with him being a heel. It kind of subtly lets you know what's coming without giving too much away in the process. The triple threat match was, without a doubt, 
probably one of the better matches out of the entire card. Not because of the guys involved, because CM Punk is good, but because you actually got to see some some decent action between Ryback and Cena, and also Cena and Punk, obviously Ryback being the wild card. But the ending of the matches, what got everybody buzzing, of course, with Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, and Roman Reigns from NXT coming out and putting the ass-whooping on Ryback, of course, CM Punk, Defeated John Cena after eating the after Cena ate the shell shock from Ryback. If I had to group this pay per view in terms of uh, a scoring system, I'd like to say it's probably about a six and a half. We could have done without that Divas title match, which was very poor, and um, the YouTube the YouTube match is exactly that the YouTube match, but the Divas match definitely brought it down, and the crowd kind of killed the U.S. title match. But Sheamus in the Big Show either put the belt on somebody else or have Dolph Ziggler cash it in because I'm tired of these two. They just do not mesh well in this match. Uh, the five-on-five match, like I said, definitely very good. Sandow, as usual, delivered. Wade Barrett was solid also. Um, it was great to see The Miz getting a face reaction. People definitely are digging it. And then, like I said, the ending the ending was what made it for me. Seeing Ambrose, Rollins, and Reigns get the, get the call up is well-deserved. Those guys are each talented in their own way. Uh, Seth Rollins definitely is a guy that I can see getting into a long-standing feud with CM Punk down the road. Dean Ambrose is technically sound, and Roman Reigns is just a beast. And of, of course, he comes from the from the Wild Samoans bloodline, so you know you're probably going to get some some crazy Samoan splashes or some other shit as well. So overall, it was a decent pay-per-view. But for those of you that ended up paying the sixty bucks, you may have felt that it didn't deliver in terms of it being the best pay-per-view for its value. But, moving into the Raw side of things, Raw, uh, same same thing, uh, highs and lows. Of course, Ryback came out and actually cut a semi-coherent promo, with um, which set up a match with him and Tensai for the, for the 50th time, which was a complete shit show. We, we all knew Ryback was going to kill Tensai dead, but... What do you expect? It was a, it was still a decent match to say the least. Kofi Kingston and Wade Barrett, I think they're gonna either start setting up a feud between them or possibly start grooming Barrett for a run with the IC belt and maybe move Kingston up to the main card. Who knows? Especially with the Elimination Chamber being the next pay per view after TLC, um, Kofi Kingston is always a guy that ends up being considered for that. So maybe they might put the belt on Barrett. We'll see how that pans out. The match itself, though, was very enjoyable. Um, of course, now the souvenir elbow that Wade Barrett had has been renamed the Bullhammer. Why? I don't know. Sounds completely fucking stupid. I would have gone with um, the souvenir. It just made sense, the logic behind it. But unfortunately, it is now the Bullhammer elbow. We got the I'm going to take a break and go to the bathroom match with Oksana and Caitlyn, which was complete garbage. Um, the... the I, I have no words to describe this match because it was really completely boring. Antonio Cesaro took on Brodus Clay. Once again, we get to see the big spot with Cesaro delivering the neutralizer on Brodus Clay, which always looks impressive to say the least. Two out of three falls match, Del Rio and Randy Orton was about as paint-by-numbers as you can get with um, Orton getting the pin 2-1 uh, two, two to one on Del Rio. Like I said, pretty paint by numbers. Hopefully this closes out that feud. Del Rio's just fucking boring. From what I'm hearing, they're going to put Rosa Mendez with him, which I hope leads to Ricardo Rodriguez getting some ring time. He's a very solid wrestler, and if he uses any of his mass personas, he'll be a welcome addition 
to the mid-card as well. A handicap match with the Great Khali was just an embarrassment for the Goya brothers, who of course it was acknowledged and buried um, how much they're just being squandered, and feeding them to the Great Khali was just a step in the wrong direction. As for the newly crowned face Miz, he took on David Otunga in, in a in a decent match. It was pretty good, you know, especially capitalizing off their Survivor Series match. But again, David Otunga is a guy that he's okay and he's starting to improve, but he's still not there. He's missing something. I think it just needs to be a feud with a guy that can kind of complement his wrestling and his mic work. I think the Miz will actually destroy him on the mic, so definitely not a feud with him. But with somebody like a Zack Ryder, you can do you can do something with. But unfortunately, Zack Ryder's too busy being squandered as well. But that's a that's a story for another day. Sheamus and Damian Sandow delivered another instant classic as usual. Damian Sandow continues to improve leaps and bounds and deliver awesome matches. I think a feud with Sheamus would work very well. Much like I said, a feud with Barrett for Sheamus would work very well. With Cody Rhodes on the shelf. I say we go with that route next. Team Hell No took on Rey Mysterio and Sin Cara in a non-title match, with ended, which ended with a no contest as the PTP interrupt, interrupted that match. Um, I think that, of course, that's probably going to set up some sort of a gimmick match for TLC. Maybe we'll get a ladder match out of the deal, which I wouldn't mind seeing Rey Mysterio, Sin Cara, Brian Kane, and the PTP in a ladder match would be ridiculous. Maybe throw in Kid and... Um, Gabriel for a for a solid for a solid ladder match if you throw those guys in there. And of course the close thing is out the CM Punk title celebration which uh of course was with a call out from Ryback. Ryback came out to uh you know get revenge on his on his loss and and of course before he even laid a finger on Punk he was attacked by Rollins, Reigns and Ambrose who proceeded once again to powerbomb him through a fucking table and kill him dead. A very, very enjoyable segment. It was good to see CM Punk front and center. I also like the fact that he's not acknowledging a relationship with those three guys, which is good because it kind of keeps things up in the air. The only thing I do want to jump back and talk about was the the John Cena and AJ thing, which I didn't even want to discuss because it's gotten completely stupid. The only thing I do want to say was that the promo that Dolph Ziggler hit AJ with was very well done. And of course the, the Cena injury quote unquote, that's supposed to be a factor in his feud with Dolph Ziggler. It was a nice touch, but the feud itself built off the, as the world turns soap opera shit is just not what I want to see on my television every week. I'm sorry, but that shit just does not work. I'd, I'd rather watch, Damien Sandow yell you're welcome at the crowd for 15 minutes then deal with that fucking lame storyline. It's embarrassing and there's so many there's so many better things going on with the product that, than to do the stupid romance angle and take away from some of the other uh from some of the other stars that can benefit from some TV time. Seriously, it's ridiculous. As for the other wrestling news, uh WWE always puts out a nice uh a nice list that always gets everybody talking, and they actually dropped a list called the Top 20 Icons of the Attitude Era. And at number 20, they had the APA. 19 was Shane McMahon. 18 was Goldust. 17 were the Dudleys. 16 was Bret Hart. 15 was Kurt Angle. Team Extreme was 14. Stephanie McMahon was 13. The Big Show was 12. Why? Exactly. Why? 
He should have been lower on the list. Edge and Christian were 11. Chris Jericho was 10. Kane was 9, which is all right. The New Age Outlaws was 8. The Undertaker, surprisingly, was very low at 7. Shawn Michaels was 6. Vince McMahon came in at 5. Mick Foley came in at 4, which is fine because he had a lot of great moments during the Attitude Era. So did Triple H, who came in at 3. The Rock, surprisingly, was number 2. And Stone Cold Steve Austin was number 1. And frankly... It's well-deserved. He gave us way too many memorable moments from his supermarket brawl with Booker T, throwing the belt into the river, whooping the Rock's ass at the airport, the beer bath, the um, St. Valentine's Day massacre match with him and Shane McMahon with the ladders. Uh, way too many. His leadership of the Alliance. So many great moments. Um, uh, it's well-deserved that Stone Cold was number one. So we'll see what the deal is with that. Speaking of the Attitude Era, of course, CM Punk defends that to 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 the utmost of his ability. He he brings it out as much as possible. He, he addresses it as much as possible. But CM Punk has been a little upset that WWE hasn't been promoting his other projects. So for those of you that are CM Punk fans and also like The Walking Dead, CM Punk will be appearing on The Talking Dead, which is the post-Walking Dead discussion show that they give um, Sundays at 11. So if you are a fan of The Walking Dead and want to see CM Punk... He will be appearing on The Talking Dead this Sunday at 11 o'clock. CM Punk also wrote the intro for the Avengers vs. X-Men graphic novel. These are all things that CM Punk has been upset about that WWE has not promoted. So if you are a fan of CM Punk, he's doing a, he's doing a couple of side projects which you guys may want to look into. While we're still on the subject of the Attitude Era, the Attitude Era DVD and Blu-ray dropped. And I, um, I definitely want to pick it up. Because there's so many great matches. Not only that, but they didn't censor the WWF logos anymore. They didn't edit too many things out. So a lot of the great stuff that we enjoy was actually included. Uh, some of the stuff on the discs, which I'll share with you guys. They had the documentary, of course, The Birth of Attitude, uh, Entrance Music, Degeneration X, Austin versus McMahon. And then they had a couple of really good matches including um and and a couple of great segments you know stone cold like i said throwing the ic championship off the bridge um mr mcmahon get get it giving mankind the hardcore championship jim ross interviewing triple h from sunday night heat uh may young and the apa of course uh triple h training trish stratus which was actually a pretty funny segment uh the rock and his promo to his hell in the cell opponents which of course that's when he imitated rikishi stone cold steve austin and those guys which was a memorable promo. Then when you get into the second disc, you got a couple of other awesome moments, including Mike Tyson joining DX, uh, Sable taking on Marvelous Mark Merrow from Raw, the um, the Lions Den match with Ken Shamrock and the late Owen Hart, the Rock and the Undertaker taking on Mankind and Stone Cold Steve Austin, which was a really good match. The the the, the corporation getting the beer bath, of course. Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin from Raw in from 1999. Also on that disc was the debut of Y2J, which went down August 9th, 1999. Wow, it's been so long. D'Lo Brown taking on Jeff Jarrett, European and IC uh, championship match. That's on the third disc. They also had Stone Cold and Jim Ross versus Triple H in China. That's also on that disc. The Big Boss Man dragging the Big Show's dad's coffin. They actually included that segment in there. The wedding between Stephanie McMahon and Test, which was another great segment. The TLC match between Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys, and the Dudley Boys from SummerSlam 2000. 
And also, they added a couple of things. If you pick it up at Best Buy, you know, Mae Young giving birth to the hand. Lita versus Stephanie McMahon. The Dudley Boys versus the Hardys. And if you pick up the Blu-ray, they added a couple of other extras as well, including the oddities with ICP taking on the Headbangers, Ken Shamrock taking on Triple H and Owen Hart in a King of Kings match, the, the union between Stephanie McMahon and The Undertaker, which was actually a very good segment, The Rock versus Val Venus. They also added Al Snow versus the late Crash Holly in the WWE Hardcore Championship match. That actually happened in SmackDown June 29th, 2000. Next up, they also did... The Hardy Boys and Lita versus Perry Saturn, Eddie Guerrero, and Dean Malenko, which at that time they were the Radicals. And then also Jericho and the Dudley Boys taking on Kurt Angle and Edge and Christian. That was from the Raw from uh, Christmas 2000, which was actually a very good match. So if you want to pick that up, it's in stores now. I recommend you guys check it out on Blu-ray if possible to get access to some of those other matches, which are, which are definitely great to have. Of course, the web was a buzz this week with Caitlyn getting arrested at a SmackDown taping due to a speeding ticket that she never paid. Of course, they, they had her mugshot on TMZ, probably one of the one of the hottest mugshots out there, which a lot of people have been saying. She actually was released on bond, three hundred fifteen dollar bond. She um, she's going to cooperate with the authorities and resolve the situation. So whatever, it was a fucking speeding ticket. It's not the end of the world. Now. Pro Wrestling, Obser- uh, Wrestling Observer and a couple of other sites are saying that the plan right now is for CM Punk uh, to move on to the Royal Rumble and beat The Rock so that he could defend the WWE title against The Undertaker at WrestleMania 29 while The Rock faces John Cena in a rematch. The, uh, the original plans which they were going to go with was Rock beating Punk, facing off with Cena for the belt at WrestleMania, but... The problem is that you don't have anybody to defend the title on the, on the house show circuit. Not only that, but they weren't sure if Rock would defend the belt at the Elimination Chamber. So these are a couple of things that definitely um, would have put a damper on that. Honestly, I think CM Punk holding onto the belt till Mania and putting up against The Undertaker with Streak versus Best in the World, which DeSova mentioned in the chat, would probably be one of the best things. Not only that, but CM Punk continuing to reinforce the whole premise of respect and with a guy like The Undertaker involved in the program would yield some very, very awesome matches. So we'll see how that pans out in the coming weeks. Of course, we got TLC coming up next at the Barclays Center here in New York City and Brooklyn. Then we got um, Royal Rumble. We got the Elimination Chamber. So we, we got ample time leading up to Mania to see how this stuff pans out. And of course, any news I get, I will gladly share with you guys. All right. That wraps up this week's wrestling segment. Let's get into the gaming segment. We got a lot to discuss there, and um, we're going to take it home. So let's jump right into it. First up, of course, it should come as no shock that Call of Duty Black Ops 2 is just kicking ass left and right. They've earned $500 million worldwide in the first 24 hours of release. This is the fourth year in a row that a Call of Duty franchise has had the biggest entertainment launch of the year. So there you have it. I guarantee you when we look at the MPD numbers, 
in a couple of weeks. We're going to see that Call of Duty is the number one game, considering that they've already made $500 million. Speaking of Call of Duty, I'm sure they're going to be up for plenty of awards when the Spike TV Video Game Awards drop December 7th. A couple of games have already been nominated for multiple categories, including Journey, which has picked up seven nominations, including Game of the Year. Also up for nomination are The Walking Dead, Assassin's Creed 3, and Dishonored, which received five nominations. Game of the Year nominees right now, Journey, Dishonored, Assassin's Creed 3, Mass Effect 3, and Walking Dead The Game are all up for Game of the Year honors. If you're interested in checking out the Spike Video Game Awards, they're going to be aired December 7th on Spike TV. You'll also be able to watch them on Xbox Live as well, and you'll be able to use the Xbox Smart Glass app. So you'll be able to use that and interact with the awards. As usual, MTR will be watching the awards and sharing their commentary throughout the evening. Um, I will tell you that with, with all these games coming out, the big thing this week, besides obviously Black Ops making a shitload of money, and the Wii U, which is came out this week, was the fact that Reggie fils said that the Wii U would become profitable after just one, one game purchase, because the console is being sold at a minor loss. Well, a guy that added to the Wii U's success is our very own Slick that picked it up this week, and um, let's, uh, let, let's pick Slick's brain a bit. Did you get to unbox the Wii U and actually play it already? Unfortunately, you know, because of all the work that I've been doing and with Thanksgiving this week, I haven't had a chance to. Probably going to do that after the show. Well, the one thing that everybody's been talking about is the fact that the Wii U is considered to be sold out. I've seen it in a couple of retail outlets. Do you think that was just something that was planted out there to generate a buzz to sell more units? No, I don't I don't think so because I remember you had reported that GameStop alone had over 250,000 pre-orders. So I mean, that's just GameStop and that's that's like the smallest retail that's that's carrying it. And I haven't seen it anywhere. I've been in I've been in Best Buy, I've been in Toys R Us, I've been in Target, and aside from the one that I got which I picked up at like 5.30 that day because I had pre-ordered it. I've never seen the box anywhere. I actually went into Best Buy today and I saw, you know, I saw a couple of consoles out, maybe because people didn't pick them up, but most of them were the basic set and not the bigger set. And a couple of games were out there. What'd you end up picking up? You picked up the game and what else did you bag? Did you get the controller? Yeah, the controller comes with... No, the uh, the, the, the arcade controller, the, the, um, the pro controller. I know I'm probably gonna pick that up, and I'll see if there's like a um, a fight stick if they get any fighting games, which I'm pretty sure they will. But um, I haven't picked up any accessories as yet because I haven't opened it yet. And the um, like you're saying you saw Wii U's. It was definitely Wii U's. I've seen tons of Wii's. No, Wii you U's know, in in Best Buy in in Westbury. Okay, but um, based on what I'm seeing, obviously first party games are the name of the game. You got a uh, Zombie U, which a lot of people have been picking up. Super Mario Brothers U, which if you're shopping this weekend for Black Friday and you go to Old Navy and drop forty bucks, you can actually get Super Mario Brothers U for free. 
in case you guys didn't know. But what did you pick up? I know you picked up Mario. I picked up Mario. I am debating picking up Transformers Prime, but I can't find any reviews on it. And um, I'm curious about Zombie U because the concept is cool that you go, you get as far as you can. As soon as you get bitten, you die. And you start over as a new character from the start point of the game. And you got to make it back to where your last character died and basically beat the shit out of that zombie to get all this stuff. So, I mean, I like the concept of the game, but it's not getting the greatest buzz. I want to see some, like, um, some player reviews and see how the, the actual players like it. I got to see a little bit of the um, the Arkham City Armored Edition, and graphically, I have to admit, I was not fucking impressed. But I also think that Arkham City is a game that's built to be graphically intensive, and it almost feels like you downscaled it for the Wii U. The armor attached, the armor enhancements are nice, but the overall presentation, definitely you can tell it's like, this is a HD quality game pushed to the limit scaled backwards to be backwards compatible you know I'm not going to expect much from games that are also on PS3 and 360 like I wouldn't expect too much from Darksiders 2 on this nope definitely not first party all the way but it's like games like Mario U look incredible on the system because they're made for the system. Well, they, any any other games that come out that are made for this system specifically are going to look good. But the games that came, you know, came from other consoles, I I basically I'm going to stick to the other consoles. I will admit that looking at the at the Wii U Pro controller, I'm a little concerned with the placement of the analog sticks. So close to the to the face buttons, because I see that the face buttons getting in the way when you're using the analog, the secondary analog stick on that. I can see myself hitting the button if I was if I were using the the right stick. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the design. I I like the shape. They definitely tried to borrow a little bit of the, of the PS the PS two in there, PS three. Try a little bit of the dual shock. It's it's nice. It also looks a little bit like their like their old pro controller and has some shades of the wave bird as well. I mean it looks kinda like the Xbox controller. True. A little bit. I'm just concerned with that analog stick placement, which definitely is gonna be a factor. I'm really hoping, like you said, you get... Because to use that controller for, for fighting games and you hit that face button, if you have a big thumb like we do, you're going to end up <coughs> tapping on that X button and hitting that analog stick immediately. I can't see myself using that controller for many games, period. I mean, you have so many options right out of the box. I mean, you can use the tablet. You can use your old remotes. You can use... The, the old pro controller. There's so many options. I can't even see that controller really selling well. Yeah, I think it's. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be retailing for. It's retailing for fifty bucks, 
So, you know, that's another game that you're potentially not getting when you're buying that controller. Not to mention the fact that they haven't even priced additional tablet controllers yet. I'm not I'm not even I was looking around just to see if they had any, but I'm I'm no. not I'm not excited to be getting a second tablet controller. What do you think? Hundred bucks, huh? Hell no. Maybe more? One fifty? If we're lucky. Ugh. That's gonna be a problem. I mean you think about it. The tablet controller I'm trying to even think of something that people can easily picture that that's roughly that size. I mean a tablet controller is at least three inches wider than a DVD case. This it's a big it's a big controller for to be considered a game controller, it's huge. Yeah. I did, I held it, and I have, you know, pretty decent-sized hands. It's definitely wide. I mean, the screen's not that big, but the... It's like holding an iPad. At least. And it's and it's it's kind of bulky, too. Yeah, it's bulky because of those rear triggers. And it has a little bit of a lip in the back. Something like that I can't see going for, for anything less than $200. And the funny thing is, it doesn't have multi-touch. You know, it doesn't have multi-touch like the, like like most of the tablets. You know, gestures and stuff like that. It's more. I I honestly think if they if they price that at two hundred dollars, people are going to be really really suckered into thinking that they that they did they ended up getting a value at the beginning and then they get fucked at the end. Because if you got two kids and you want them both to have the the tablet controllers and you bought the the you know the the three hundred dollar system. And all of a sudden, now you just spent an extra two. That system's value just went to the five hundred dollar range. Went for a, a, a fraction of that. You could buy a PS3 that's also a Blu-ray with a couple of decent games. I know you're paying for the experience at that point, but when your system and one extra accessory are getting into the five hundred dollar range, that's a fucking problem. And I think the way they're working around that is. The quote-unquote Nintendo creativity. I mean, you take a game like Mario, and if you have multiple people playing it, because you can have up to five people playing the game at once. Okay. You'd have four people using Wiimotes, and the the person with the tablet is sort of like the cheat code. Ah. Basically, he like he keeps the game going. Like he can tap on the tablet and put platforms in place where a person would otherwise fall off the screen and die. Ah. And for a lot of the game modes, like the the rush mode and stuff, that's really cool. But, I mean, it, it's literally there to basically save the other people's lives. But there's going to be a lot of fighting then, because like I said, if you got two kids, three kids, one of them's always going to want to use the fancy tablet controller. Even though Nintendo say you can only cap it out at two tablet controllers, and everybody else has to use the other ones. But even still, you know, even if you got two, like I said, when you get into the five hundred dollar range for a total for a total cost of ownership, it's it's going to definitely cause some people to second guess their purchases down the road. I, I agree, and that was the concern from the start. 
But we're gonna have to see how the um how the games are made. I mean if Nintendo's smart, they'll make a lot of games where you really can only use one tablet. I think that's gonna have to be their smartest option. Just they're gonna have to build it around the one tablet, maybe two when you have multiple players, and then say, you know, multi tablet enabled. But I can I can definitely see them going that route. Honestly, when when the dust clears of Black Friday and the holidays, we're going to find out just how many Wii units really got moved. And if people were only buying the Wii unit for a novelty act, and if it still has an extended shelf life after January. I think that it's, it's, um, it's probably going to sell most in this quote-unquote launch window, which is from this past Sunday going into March of next year because a lot of the games that I personally was excited about that were supposed to be at launch are now slated for launch window. Like, they have no date. It just says launch window, which means it's sometime between now and March of 2013. Because, honestly, I'm... I'm sure I'm, I'm going to enjoy the Mario Brothers, even though it's you know for me it's going to be a single player thing unless people come over. But I just finished playing um, the last Mario Brothers on um, the DS, and it's not going to be that much of a difference because it's still the original Mario Brothers format. I would have honestly preferred if they had put this Mario Brothers game on the DS and put the Paper Mario game that came out last week on the Wii U. I would have rather see Paper Mario on the Wii U. It's a better it's a it's a better use of a first party franchise. I mean, yeah, the multi platform Mario is nice, but it's the same shit. With a prettier coat of paint. I'm shocked they didn't go not with like a um another Mario Galaxy, but Another 3D Mario experience, trying to do something new. Yeah, I, I I was very I was very upset with them going the multiplayer Mario route because it's once again signs of Nintendo just refreshing shit that's already out there. You know, we could have got a new Super Mario Galaxy or just a new Super Mario game that's not tethered to the same shit that's already out in other consoles. Laziness. It's laziness. It is laziness, and the only thing that's really gonna make up for it is, like you said, the first-party games. We need to see first-party titles come out... Frequently. Not even that. It's just that, um... They all... Like, let's say next year that somehow you get a Donkey Kong, you get a Zelda... You get a, even a Mario Kart. All of those games need to be completely different from the format. I, I, I agree 100%. I mean, I liked the Sega racing game Transformed because the vehicles get to morph into other vehicles. Yeah, it's still Mario Kart-ish, but at least they try to kind of move it forward. But I agree. It's like we need to see a new Donkey Kong Country, a legit brand new Donkey Kong Country. We need to see a new Metroid that uses the tablet. Definitely a new Mario Kart, 
but something that that's completely different. Maybe they need to borrow a little bit of of Diddy Kong Racing, where you know in Diddy Kong Racing you could race in cars, boats, and planes. Maybe you might need to go that route, do some planes, maybe some boats. What they need is a they need if they're gonna do a racer, whether it's Mario Kart, Diddy Kong Racing, whatever, they need to. They need to get out of the, the, the kitty format, which is what everybody said about the Wii. Basically, we need a, a Mario Kart doing something like Burnout. That might work. We also we also have franchises that haven't even been touched on a home console like Kid Icarus. We saw Kid Icarus handheld. Bring Kid Icarus to, to the to the major platforms. Same thing with um, you know, they're bringing back Luigi's Mansion. That was something different. But again, it, it, we haven't seen it in so long, it's going to feel brand new, but it's still, it, at least it's something else. I'd honestly like to see um, a new F-Zero. New F-Zero would be good. Um, Even that would need to break the formula. Yep. Because there have been how many F-Zeros? At least four? Uh, at least four, but on, on home consoles, two, I think. And they were the same? I mean, Practically the same. Same thing with Star Fox. Need a brand new Star Fox. Where, honestly, if you were to do a Star Fox game, I would take it and make it like Mass Effect. With Star Fox. At least it shows that your character is growing. It's developing into something more than just a cute little cartoon character flying around. With Slippy the fucking frog. And that's the thing. It's like... Nintendo has these... These characters. And Nintendo is known for being family friendly. But Nintendo is also known for... Appealing to everyone. Right. And they can take these characters and do different things with them. I agree 100%. I'm like... Who's to say Mario has to have an adventure in the Mushroom Kingdom? I agree. Why, why does he have to have it in the Mushroom Kingdom? Why don't you make it, and this is insane, but why don't you make it that the Mushroom Kingdom starts merging with the real world? And Koopas are in Brooklyn. You know, but but at least you're bringing it into the real world. Even if you have to do like cartoony looking cars and, and Mario running through the streets and Mario runs into a pizzeria. You know, and having like shit like that. Bowser, Bowser all of a sudden comes and he takes over New York. Yeah, there's there's gonna be a problem with an Italian dude running around Brooklyn eating mushrooms. Hey, fuck it. I, but but at least it's a it's a step in the right direction. You know, as 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 tacky as it is, you're borrowing the plot from that terrible Mario Brothers movie. But at least you can acknowledge that and have a little fun with it. You know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, Koopa's castle appears in the middle of Manhattan, where the Empire State Building is. And since they love throwing random-ass characters in there, I mean, the freaking Sonic game has Wreck-It Ralph in it. Hey, if you want to do something like that, you're going to have him running through the sewers, have him run into some turtles. You could do that. I, I personally, and I said this before, ha- take advantage that you can use Sonic so freely and make him and Mario work together in a game. How much money you'd make? Dr. Robotnik decides that you know, he's going to help Bowser and you get, you know, he's going to provide Bowser with all the mech, 
you know, with a new mech clown ship that turns into a giant Bowser robot or some crazy shit. But take take some fan ideas, because remember there was that, that DVNR picture where uh, a Koopa Troopa, <laughs> he ran out, he actually ran to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles right. for help. Right, but you can have fun with stuff like that. I'm just saying that while, while, while from a fan fiction standpoint, it's it's a little crazy, but at least it's expanding the character's mythology a little bit further. And he's doing something different. Or or you can even have Mario just start popping up. Why why can't Mario pop up in like a Kirby game? Or vice versa, and Kirby, Kirby helps Mario out. Maybe, maybe Mario can do an attack where Kirby eats Mario and absorbs his abilities and then spits him out. And have a little fun with that. You know, Kirby grows a fucking mustache and turns into a plumber. I mean, you do have um, taking on Z- uh, Link's abilities. Right. So why not? Have a little fun with that. You have so many intergroup characters, or not even, just put Donkey Kong and Mario in a platformer working together. Taking on the, you know, the, the, the Gators and, and, the, and the Koopas. It's not fucking difficult, man. Eat this mushroom. Put on this fire flower. Put on this bee suit. Fuck it. The you know T T shirt T Fury did a funny one where Mario put on a Pikachu suit. Why not? Why not start having fun with those franchises? That's what they really got to do with this this new Meverse that they have here. Yep. We need. I mean, the whole basis is it's supposed to be a portable thing because it's pocket monsters, but they definitely. Needs to finally be an actual home home console full Pokemon adventure. I agree. Even if they redid the original one, I mean, take the shit needs to be brought home. I agree. As, I- as long as the damn cartoon's been on, you need to to make a, a game for the. The Wii U that basically gives gives kids and grown-ups, because I play this shit, an adventure that's similar to the cartoon. The fucking tablet can be the Pokedex. There you go. How difficult is that? Not only that, but you can actually take the tablet and make it look like a book. Half the tablet is the Pokedex. The other half is that you can see the Pokemon sleeping in the ball, and you can see his vitals. Like, oh, you know, Pikachu's recovering from a battle. You can't really use him, and you should see him in the ball injured. You know, he has like a little band-aid on his forehead. And then you could be like, all right, switch balls, throw this guy out. And you can see that, you know, throw out Charmander or something like that. People will be like, oh, shit, that's kind of cool because you're making full use of the technology. How cool would it be you get to see your Pokemon's vitals in the ball? You get to see if he's injured or, you know, if he got got caught with a poison attack and he's going to take, you know, three days, quote-unquote, to heal. You know, can't use X Pokemon recovering from poison attack. Kids would dig that. It would be it would embrace the technology, but not only that, give people something new. Well, it's gonna be a long couple of months till March. With us being incredibly angry every episode if they can if they drop the ball with this shit. It's gonna be a long console cycle if they drop the ball. Well, no, if they drop the ball console cycle-wise, they can always redeem themselves with the all-powerful price drop. 
Because, see, that's how it goes. Nintendo's known for that shit. When shit starts to get a little tight, oh, you could buy the new console for $249. We're dropping the other console to $199. Sell another, you know, 3 million units. Like I said, they need to do something new with the old characters. And they need to find some people like the guys who make, what I was saying last year, the guys who make games like Journey and stuff. They need, with this, this new online experience, these little yep. little games that people can buy for like 5 to $15. Little snackable titles to keep people occupied. You know what would be a good title for that? Mario Paint. Remember Mario Paint? Throw that sh- Excuse me. Throw that shit on the tablet. It's not the it's not the 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 most detailed game, but it's a game that you could throw out there for for five bucks. Throw out a, an updated Doctor Mario. You know, start grabbing some of those old games, but 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 redoing them and releasing them as as smaller as smaller games. Sonic Spinball. That'll do all right. You know, use the tablet as the flippers. But they're never gonna do that. Last bit of gaming news, if you are, if you picked up the Zone of Enders box set, you are currently playing Metal Gear Revengeance, and I hate you, um, the, the, and, and I gotta acknowledge our, our buddy Steven from Unveil, because he is playing Metal Gear Revengeance, and he said it's pretty awesome, but that's besides the point. If you pre-order Metal Gear Revengeance at RapeStop, you can actually get the Cyborg Ninja costume. It is a GameStop exclusive skin for now, anyway. Uh, worn by Gray Fox in the original Metal Gear Solid. So, you know, Raiden will get a nice little change of wardrobe, a nice trip down memory lane, and you can have a little fun playing Metal Gear Revengeance. Based on what I've seen, it looks like a game that is graphically intensive. If anything, I'll probably end up picking up that game on the PS3 to fully appreciate all the visuals. But if you're a fan of the Cyber Ninja, you'll be able to bag that at GameStop. I'm surprised you didn't get the Zone of Enders box set. Well, Christmas is coming, <laughs> and, and I'm hoping Santa will get there for me. Make sure to update that fucking wish list then. <laughs> well, with that said, um, gaming news were a little light this week, obviously, because it's fucking Thanksgiving, and everybody wants you to spend the money on the games, not read about the games, which we all know with Black Friday, um, there's a couple of deals you may want to bag. I shared most of them on our Facebook fan page. I will tell you, though, that... There's a lot there's a lot of solid shit out there. Uh most importantly, if you don't want to deal with the Black Friday crowd, I am going to share this with you. You can use our Amazon and if you're smart and you want to help out MTR, you can go through our Amazon store. You can pick up a couple of games on Black Friday. Uh Dishonored, you can pick it up on Black Friday for $25 from 4:10 in the afternoon till 8:10 in the afternoon Eastern Standard Time. You want to bag Darksiders 2, it's $29.99. Same thing, November 22nd from 4.10 to 8.10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. FIFA 13, 25 bucks from 8.10 at night to 12.10 to 12, um, November 23rd. So you'll be able to bag those from Thanksgiving to Black Friday. Uh, last but not least, um, if you want that Madden, you can get that. On Thanksgiving from 8.10 to midnight Black Friday. On Black Friday itself, you can get Max Payne 3 for $15 from 4 to 8. Medal of Honor Warfighter also can be picked up on Thanksgiving evening from 12 to 2.45 in the afternoon. That's also $25. If you want to get that NBA 2K13 for $25, you can bag that Thanksgiving night from 8 to 12. 
NCAA 13 is also going to be $25, and that's also going to be Thanksgiving night from 8 to 12. And the last one, which has ruffled quite a few feathers, WWE 13 for $25 on Black Friday from 12 in the afternoon to 4.10 in the afternoon. So if you don't want to deal with the public and you want to bag any of these games, Amazon is the way to go. And like I said, if you want to help us out, make sure to pick those games up through the MTR Amazon store. All right, that's going to wrap up the gaming segment for this week. Let's talk television and movies. All right, let's open up this week's entertainment segment. With our box office totals, as a shocker to no one, The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2 earned $141 million opening week. Followed by Skyfall at number 2, Lincoln at number 3, Wreck-It Ralph at number 4, Flight was number 5, Argo still in the top 10 at number 6, Taken 2 was number 7, Pitch Perfect was 8, Jab Tack High John. I don't know what the, the fuck, fuck is that. That's what I'm saying. I saw it in the uh, marquee for the movie theater by the job, and I was like, what the fuck is that? Clearly, it's something foreign, but it's obviously in the number nine spot with $1.2 million. And for some reason, people decided to go see Here Comes the Boom with Kevin James, and it was in the top 10 spot, $1.2 million. But the Twilight Saga will be. In the top 10, killing the box office for the foreseeable future, at least till next month when the hobbits come along and kill the vampires. Until then, there's going to be a lot of sparkly motherfuckers and a lot of Team Edward and Team Jacob all over the place. In some casting news, we started getting some some potential castmates for um, Spider-Man, Mary Jane, and Gwen Stacy, which is going to be Harry Osborn. Based on what, what's been said, they are a couple of actors in line to portray Harry Osborn in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Right now we got Douglas Booth, who's appearing in Noah. Uh, Sam Claflin, who appeared in Snow White and the Huntsman. Boyd Holbrook, who's in The Host. Eddie Redmayne from My Week with Marilyn are guys that are, all, are currently auditioning for a role. Guys that have already auditioned are Brady Corbett, uh, Dame DeHaan from Chronicle, and Alden Ehrenreich from Stoker are actors that are currently in the running. I think uh, Dane DeHaan would probably be a good one. He was really good in Chronicle. Um, if you haven't seen Chronicle, I recommend you see it. Slick reviewed it. You can find his review on our site. Entertainment Weekly reported that the 10-disc, uh, six-movie box set of, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1, they finally come to terms uh, with the issue that was going on with the lawsuit and you're going to be able to pick that up in April. If you want to pre-order the Blu-ray set, the pre-sales are active as of today. You can even pre-order it through our Amazon store. And it will be in stores worldwide April 2nd. But the, the cool thing is that now that they've pushed that back to April 2nd, you're going to be able to pick up not only Phase 2, but you're going to, Phase 1, but you're going to get a preview of Phase 2 which is going to include deleted scenes from all the past films, including an alternate ending for Thor. Last but not least, you're also going to get a lot of insight into other movies that are going to be released, including Iron Man 3, Thor The Dark World, 
Captain America and the Winter Soldier, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Avengers 2. So if you want to get a, a quick glimpse of the Phase 2 of the Marvel Universe, I recommend you pick up the Phase 1 box set available April 2nd. It is going to run you $219. It's a lot of fucking money, but you get a lot of shit and a snazzy briefcase. I can't complain. I may buy that shit on principle. Yeah, good luck selling all your other discs. Yeah, I'm going to have to fucking sell them to a crackhead and hope for the best. <laughs> hey, you want this copy of Thor? I paid $8 for it. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm a sucker for shit like that. In some other news, many people uh, will be happy to hear that the 3D re-release of Independence Day is not happening. Superhero Hype reports that Fox decided to pull the plug on the post-conversion of the film. But we don't know if they're still going to do the two-part sequel as of yet, but if I find something out, I will gladly share it with you guys. But on the flip side, Fox did give the release dates for the 3D re-releases of the final two Star Wars prequels. Superhero Hype said that the studio will be releasing Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones on September 20th, 2013, and Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith on October 4th, 2013. So there you have it. If you want to see um, more Jar Jar Binks in 3D, September and October 2013 are the months to be on the lookout for that. Last but not least, to wrap things up, because like I said, it's a uh, quiet week. The uh, Paranormal Activity series is going up to number five. Paramount Pictures announced that the studio will be releasing their film just before Halloween on October 25th, 2013. Um, Obviously continuing the tradition of releasing a movie Every year in October. As of right now, they got no details on the plot. But, of course, it's a no-brainer that they're going to do it when Paranormal Activity 4 has have grossed $135 million worldwide. Of course, the movies cost like $5 to make. So, it's not a surprise that they're going to go that route. I will say this. De Silva shared with me a um, the legacy of the great Muda which I may actually pick up, damn you, De Silva. Um, besides that, that actually is going to wrap up the show for this week. It was a quiet week, simple as that. Anyway, let's get the hell out of here. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 164 for Wednesday, November 21st, 2012. Well, now Thursday, obviously. Anyway, I wanted to take the opportunity and wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving, not only from myself, but also on behalf of Slick, Andrea, Blade, Quark, Ben, and the rest of the MTR family. Hopefully you guys have a happy and healthy Thanksgiving, and we will catch you guys most likely next Wednesday or next Thursday. As always, keep an eye on either our Facebook or on Twitter for updates regarding broadcasts. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR or advertise with us, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you want to look for us on Twitter, just look for at mytakeradio. Also, you can find us on MySpace, become a fan on Facebook, ask us questions on Formspring, or last but not least, add us to your circle on Google+. If you want to get access to all the MTR exclusives, you got to pick up the MTR app for your Android and iOS devices. It's $1.99. You get episodes of MTR in 96K stereo, mobile wallpapers, online exclusives for the app including mtr beyond the mic mtr behind the mic the minority film report and a ton of other original content 
that we are going to be publishing to the app in the coming weeks. Also, keep an eye on the site because we are adding many enhancements. Some are going to be cosmetic. Others are going to be behind the scenes just to make your experience on the site that much more enjoyable. And, of course, you can also listen to My Take Radio. You can listen to MTR Archives via Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, and TuneIn Radio. If you are getting the show from iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We would really appreciate it. All right, taking us out this week, um, we actually got in touch with an artist uh, called The Maniac Agenda via SoundCloud, and they're going to share with you a remix of the song Figure It Out by Serge Tankian from System of a Down. You can find them on Facebook.com, The Maniac Agenda. You can also look for them on their website, ManiacMusic.net, and also look for The Maniac Agenda on SoundCloud. All of those links will be in the show notes. Until then, on behalf of myself, Slick, and the MTR family, we will catch you guys next week. Thank you guys for listening, and again, happy Thanksgiving. I'm out of here.
Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.